0: If you can force your heart and nerve and sinew to serve your turn long after they are gone, and so hold on when there is nothing in you except the will which says to them, Hold on! If you can talk with crowds and keep your virtue, or walk with kings nor lose the common touch, if neither foes nor loving friends can hurt you, if all men count with you but none too much, if you can fill the unforgiving minute with sixty seconds worth of distance run, Yours is the earth and everything that's in it. And which is more, you'll be a man, my son. If, a poem by Rudyard Kipling. The King's Hall Podcast exists to make self-ruled men who rule well and win the world. Well, welcome to this episode of the King's Hall podcast. I'm your host Leroy Jenkins. Sir Leroy Jenkins actually been knighted this week. I'm with Dan Burkholder. Sir
1: Leroy Jenkins.
0: Yeah, that's what happens when you get knighted. I was actually knighted <laughs> posthumously after the post, Queen's demise. Post-post-posthumously. I just, <laughs> post,
2: <post-humorously. laughs> I I just think it's how, really It's a big word, Brian. Wow, was wow. that Was that? I'm not going to make this. Wasn't it's,
1: Leroy Jenkins that thing like it was like 10 years ago?
2: Some things never die. I'm like
1: the <laughs> <Queen>. Roy
0: Jenkins. <laughs> are, your, are your pronouns the thou? Uh, the thou. That's okay. the knighted chivalric. Um, okay. Yeah, it's, yeah, I mean, it's all in the Queen's English. Really. I, yeah, I can,
1: I can hear I wonder who knighted you.
0: The Queen, posthumously. <laughs> okay,
1: all right. Posthumously. All right. <laughs> Ray can edit all this out. No, it's Give this us is like a respectable in. open.
0: So, Brian is here with us yeah. at the King's Hall. Thank you. And gentlemen, we're going to be talking... I said just got Dan. S- he said okay. Dan. I said Dan yeah. earlier. Uh, going to be- offended. <laughs> Dan, we're going to be talking today about covenant, succession, higher education. I just can't believe we
1: started this episode. That is about higher education
0: that way. Well, I think we're lowering higher education. Trying to earn money for college. Your mom goes to college. And we're going to be talking about the trades. We're going to be talking about why higher education doesn't fit into this plan of covenant succession. Yeah. If so, wear blue-collar, white-collar. We're going to delve into these issues. Also, I have pit Vipers on, so you know this show is going to be GAY! So
2: you know that it's going to be, you know, uh, to a certain caliber.
0: Yeah, very high. To a certain caliber. It's very high. Wait till we get video. Just wait. Just wait.
2: Hey, if you want to help us get video and anybody has, like, I don't know, 20 grand lying around, checks can be made payable to... Brian Sauvé. No. Uh, no, they cannot. <laughs> no, they can't, actually. The King's Hall? Anyway. Continue no, the they can't
1: be made to the King's Hall either. King's Hall. It has to be the the surprise that we're waiting. To oh. oh. Is that another Easter egg?
2: There's an yeah. Easter egg. That was can. another that was Easter a
1: good egg. setup. Well, I mean, it's a better Easter egg when you don't say, is that an Easter egg? <laughs>
0: <sighs> I love it. That's a good
2: point.
1: <laughs> so I got to give it. you that.
0: Speaking of things that are surprises, uh, one of the recent news items relates to this issue of higher education. And there's really been a touchpoint issue in the American culture. Of course, what I'm referring to is President Biden's announcement on August 24th that the federal government would forgive the student loan debts of millions of Americans, a move, Dan, that would total between 300 and $519 billion in debt forgiveness. Why not? I why mean, not? at
2: this point, why not? Yeah, it's all funny money anyway. Why? why I mean, why, what's, you know, billion here, billion there, pretty soon you're talking about real money.
0: But it is really hard, Brian. When, when you start digging in, you say, just, yeah, yeah, but maybe that higher education is really valuable.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, meanwhile, a study from CBS News reported that more than half of 2020 college graduates, guess where they are now? They're currently without work. Wow. That's right, mom's basement, probably. Pretty much any study you look at shows the same from the last 10 years. Nearly 50% of all college graduates, are without work. Wow. They are not participating in the workforce. Unbelievable. Because so that's you, a narrative. If you got the gender studies degree, not actually Sorry. useful.
2: Yeah, I mean, the narrative is, hey, get your four-year degree, you're set. You'll get a stable job, climb the ladder, retirement, 401K, you're good.
0: That's right. And, Brian, you hit the nail on the head. This is the heart of the issue. For decades, we've been telling our sons and daughters that the ticket to success is higher education. Mm-hmm. If you want to succeed in your career, go to college, take out student loans. By the way, they total tens of thousands of dollars. And you too, Dan, will be on the fast track to success because you got a business degree.
1: Mm, That's funny because I feel like I'm in the basement of a
0: 90-year-old church. That is also true. And some success can't be measured, Dan. (laughs) Some success (laughs) can't be measured in dollars. What's the result of all this, though, gentlemen? The younger generations are leaving college campus to find a startling reality. Their gender study degree is worthless, as I said before. And by the way, this also has unintended consequences, like women putting off family, putting off children, Mm -hmm. and then having to go into the workforce to pay off the student loans. So, again, family and children get sacrificed at the altar of career and student loans. In other words, to summarize all of that, college graduates are discovering what they've been told was a big lie. Some of us might even call it the big boomer lie. It worked for one generation it does not seem to work anymore. While some professions do probably warrant a degree in something like, say, engineering or the medical field, a greater percentage of Americans have been duped by the Ponzi scheme that is higher education. Some people are getting rich. Most Americans are not. And, and most- it's
2: not the graduates. No, it's not the
0: graduates. <laughs> I was going to say, it's, it's not the graduates. It's not middle America.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: As a result of all of this, Dan, there's bitterness and resentment over the debt. There's wasted time. There's the slavery that will ensue and be required to pay it all back. And this is causing a huge generational rift. Now, all this, by the way, is related to more core principles that we, I want to delve into in this episode, like our theology of work. So I actually want to start here, and, and maybe one of you guys can give me just a 30-second elevator pitch if somebody came to the church and they asked you, what is your theology of work, especially the work that we've kind of talked about with New Christendom and and the King's Hall, what would that pitch be?
1: That's a pretty open-ended question.
0: It is. 30 seconds, Stan.
1: 30 seconds? One, you should work. Two, you should feed your family out of the outflow of that work. Three, you should work unto God and not... As a people pleaser, number four. There's a fourth one. (laughs) (laughs)
0: You you had to get a certain number of points because Brian. I know he would have like seventeen.
2: Listen, seventeen. But if you count the sub points, the epistolological conclusions (laughs) of this theological quandary. No, that that Dan that was that was actually I think really captured the landscape. (laughs) Just making fun of you. From above, I know. No, it didn't capture me. I mean, it was total caricature of me. Uh, I'm a very dignified and uh, sober-minded person. But no, I think you captured the landscape there. Work heartily as unto the Lord. You, You do. Like Christians have a high view of work. We have a high view of all of the different types of work as well. We have a high view of skilled trades. We have a high view of knowledge work. We have a high view of. Arts and and uh, media work. We have a high view. I mean, you could go through the list. We have a high view of the vocation of motherhood and home homemaking. We have a high view of well. Why do we have a? Can we have a high view of all these work and not these different types of work and not make them like enemies? Where it's blue collar versus white collar or college degree versus no college degree. Well, the reason is because we believe that Christ is Lord of the soil and He's Lord of the code in the software program. We believe that you can go into the world and that he really did design it such that you can find meaningful, God-glorifying work in any area of the world that he made that serves people and is in obedience to his law. I mean, that's basically what we're talking about. Serving people, that's what work is, providing value to people, meeting human needs. And so Christians uh, should have a high view of the whole landscape of work, and and one of the implications of that is that we should also therefore have a high view of all of different types of education and vocational training.
0: That is, Brian, huge. That's huge. They, that was it.
1: I mean, I'm just going to say that was a phenomenal answer. Not 30 seconds,
0: though. That, that was a really good. Thank answer. you. I, it was I a think, great answer.
2: I want Ray to insert a clip that says exactly how many seconds my answer was now. To, and we'll when start we listen, timer. we'll know who was right. One minute, 37 seconds later.
0: That's right. Start the timer. So one of the things- Probably, that, Dan. <laughs> probably Dan. Dan. Dan is usually right. You can, Ray can also make a clip of that probably. Yeah. <laughs> right, so this episode, we're not necessarily going into a full theology of work, but I think that is worth pointing out. This is the Protestant work ethic. The Puritans were robust, hardy workers for Christendom and the world that they were trying to build, and so their lives reflected that. Work heartily as unto the Lord in everything that your hand touches. And again, much more could be said. But it is interesting that when you look at the crumbling of Christendom, it's very closely and centrally connected with the degradation of our view of work. Somebody who pointed this out was Alan C. Carlson, and he said this, Material abundance, along with its sister decadence, is a lagging indicator of societal decay. The institutions and social contracts that have supported our way of life for centuries, marriage, family, faith, community, morality, the economy, they have been utterly decimated. The biblical idea of work as worship had to be undone before people were ready to submit to the idea of leisure, comfort, and wealth as acceptable pursuits in and of themselves. End quote. And then I wanna I wanna tie this all together and then we'll get to some questions here. Uh, But to tie it all together, I'm going to quote from Rory Groves, and uh, we'll definitely include in the show notes a link to his book, Durable Trades, which is really good on this subject. He says this, If I'm going to spend the next 20 years building a family-centered economy, I want it to be one that doesn't die with me, or with the next recession, invention, or global supply chain crisis. End quote. So, gentlemen, Rory's point really gets to the heart, I think, of the episode, at least for me. One of our primary goals with building Christendom is to pass on a legacy of work and productive property that doesn't die with us. Yeah. In the old world, it would be expected that fathers, one of the things they were supposed to provide for their sons was a trade work that could provide for them and for their families. And mm-hmm. one of the things we've said with new Christendom, we want to carry on the work ourselves, but we also want to be able to pass it to our children Yeah. and they will take up that torch and continue building into their lifetimes mm-hmm. So as we start to think about these things, why is a legacy-minded model regarding work and covenant succession so important here?
2: For the project of this season to be successful, the project of seeing a new Christendom built, There will need to be thousands and thousands of Christian men and women who are equipped to stand for the truth of Scripture against the errors of both the liberal church and the pagan culture. This is one reason we're so glad to be partnering with our sponsor for this season, Reformation Heritage Books. Reformation Heritage Books offers a large selection of helpful and theologically rigorous resources on everything from biblical theology to history to blue-collar family discipleship the type of library and resources that could make the kind of men and women I just described grounded in the rich heritage of the Reformed faith. We'd like to highlight one resource in particular, their Family Worship Bible Guide, that presents rich devotional thoughts on all 1,189 chapters of the Bible, including searching questions to promote conversation and to help you in leading your family in such a way as to say with Joshua, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Tap the link in the description of this episode to pick one up today. Yeah, when, when we're thinking about work, we need to relate it properly to the Christian life. Thank you for taking off the pit vipers. Now I can tell where you're I feel looking.
0: like now we have to be extra serious. I always
2: couldn't tell if you were looking at Dan or me because yes. of the reflectivity, the mirror finish. Anyway, thank you for that.
0: no when, when we think
2: about something like work and higher education and, and specifically as a preparation for vocation... The first thing we, we need to do as Christians is to properly situate work within the, 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 where it fits in human life. So we need to say like, because there are ditches you can fall in. You could say, well, work is going to be this all-consuming, all-encompassing thing, and it swallows up all of my strength, all of my life, and I just sacrifice my children to it, sacrifice my family to it, chasing the dollar. Well, as Christians, obviously we're not going to do that. We, we want to make money and we want to, because God commands us to, or the equivalent, we, to provide for our families, lest we deny the faith and are worse than unbelievers. We can't fall in that ditch. We also can't fall in the ditch that work is a result of the fall. Work is somehow terrible and the whole goal in life is to escape work and just live a life of endless recreation. Obviously, vocation can't fit there because before the fall, there was work. God gave our father Adam work to do, and it was good, it was very good that he was made to that work, and then he even gave the woman to the man to help him in his work, in his mission as a priestly worker-keeper of the garden, naming the animals, taking dominion, etc. So as Christians, in order to answer this question rightly, we have to start by situating work in its proper space in our lives, not make it a God, not make it an enemy, but, but understand that work is a gift of God that he gave us to serve certain purposes. And when you start answering that theological question about what work is and where it fits and how the training for work ought to fit into your life, I really think that's where you start to see the importance of thinking intergenerationally with your work and to see how modernity in the last, since the industrial revolution forward, has disrupted a normative human pattern For work and vocation and trade and handing on a legacy to your children and made everybody essentially rootless vocationally, continually shifting, continually moving, uh, getting new jobs every two years, every five years, or, you know, changing careers six different times. And I'm not saying that any of those things in and of themselves are, are bad. But as Christians, we need to when we when we understand uh, the nature of our work and how it relates to our families, we begin to see the importance of being whether we're handing our children literally a trade that they can join in our family and continue doing the same thing as us or setting them up through the overflow and of our own industry that we actually do have this vital link between the generations and we have to fight against the modern urge to sever that link and basically just send our kids out as if they're starting from like Adam. <laughs> you know, there's nothing to build on. They're just start start over every single generation because what what we end up with then are rootless, divided, not intergenerational but atomistic families that have no proper Christian view of the world we're living in or how vocation fits into it. So, I mean, that was a classic rambly Brian answer, but no, those are some of the fair. things that come to mind when I'm when I'm thinking about the intergenerationality of of work.
1: No, I think that's really good because y- It's, it's hard to see the direct tie if you're an engineer and you're like, well, hold on, how am I supposed to do this work so that I can pass it on to my sons? That becomes pretty difficult, especially if you know your sons and you're like this, my boy is not an engineer. Yeah. Like he's, he's got other giftings. And so how do you do that? And I think it's really important to have that. And we talked about this in other places to have that idea of what your what the thrust, the mission, the, the vision of your life is and be working towards that end. And that should be the mission that you invite your children into, that you especially invite your sons into to work towards that end. And, and so it might not look exactly like a trade, but it definitely is work. It's definitely a work to raise your generations in the Pi Day and Thesia of the Lord. It's definitely work when you're trying to take over certain, you know, certain areas of the country. For example, like I, I want my boys to stay here in Ogden. I want them to have families yeah. here. And so, what can I be doing so that I can enable them to stay and to give them every excuse that they want to stay, win their hearts to stay and uh, enable them to do that? Well, it's probably helping them secure property mm-hmm. so that they have a place to live, securing a job so that they have a place to work, yeah. having a church so that they have a place to worship, having a school so that they have a place to educate their kids. It's really a and way so, for
0: them to be rooted.
1: Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's that's I think probably the the best way I can say intergenerational work can be passed on, you know, to to your next generations because it is hard to see a trade sometimes.
0: Yeah. Yeah, with, yeah that's exactly right. And we'll, and we'll get into the difference between trades and knowledge work yeah. in just a second.
2: One thing to add. Yeah. But that that you just inspired me as a father because we're talking about covenant succession here as it relates to the new christendom basically passing faith and the skills necessary for our people to thrive exist and expand and grow get a foothold yeah. that turns into something greater than a foothold in our place so that we can establish christendom there like that's what we're talking about here so one of the key elements that Dan just touched on that was it's so central to this question when it comes to our children is that as fathers we're called like shepherds to know the state of our flocks and that means knowing our children, knowing them deeply, and reading the son that's not an engineer. Saying, this this one's not going to be an engineer. And not trying to force that. I'm not going to make him be something he's not. I'm going to ask of the block of marble, where's the statue of David in this thing? I'm going to say, where in this boy, or that you know that, that's in front of me, that God's given me. What My kids are so radically different, they're going to be doing totally different things from the five, six, seven-year-old, nine-year-old view. But my job as a dad is to work with the grain of my children with yeah, that Christendom really in mind
1: yeah because the command of fathers from Paul in Ephesians six is fathers do not provoke your children to wrath yeah and if you want to provoke your child to wrath we I mean we've seen this in stories and in testimonies you know our whole lives about I, I never met my father's expectations he wanted to me me to be in sports he wanted me to do this thing and I just wasn't I wasn't that thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is provoking your children to wrath. Absolutely. But instead, raise them in the Paideia and the new thesia of yep. the Lord.
0: So key. Yeah, great points. Uh, gentlemen, one thing I want to ask you as we're talking about higher education, I, I think there's like two extremes here. On the one hand, people can say, um, you know, and, and I've actually heard this sort of an anti intellectualism, like all higher education is stupid, we don't need it. I would definitely argue uh, that higher education as we have it today as a public entity. It costs what it costs and puts people in a bad situation. I would say for the most part, that that's been a lot harder and mm. worse for Americans than it's been pitched. But does that mean that all higher education is bad? If not, what is the principle that would kind of guide your thinking on the value of higher education?
2: Mm. Man, I think no matter what our children are doing, we want to teach them to the best of their of our ability and to the with the grain of their 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 creational nature, how God made them to th- like i i think we talked about this in education to read well think well speak well and be virtuous young men and women that's that's our goal um, because so much of life is going to be about words there, to to be a righteous man you have to relate properly to words you can't be an unlettered fool what separates us as the pinnacle of creation partly is that hum- humanity are masters of word in in, in in a similar in a reflection of God in a way that the animal kingdom is not. Dolphins, you know, they, they overhype like chimps learning sign language. But like there is an ontological gap in our being between animal kingdom and humanity with respect to our speech. This is one of the reasons like it's it's so powerful an image in the Chronicles of Narnia, the talking beasts not talking beasts. And when the talking beasts rebel against Aslan, the Christ figure in Narnia in the end in the last battle he they become dumb beasts again they can they lose the ability to talk the cat you know it's this horrible picture of humanity degrading into animal in their animalian nature so our children we don't want them to be beasts we want them to be men and women and that requires in my opinion the 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 peak the best we can give them is this great foundation of classical christian learning where they understand, they honor their father and mother. They've inherited this great tradition in the Western Christian world of good words, of words spoken fitly, and they should be able to interact and, and understand that legacy. So whether they're going to be a plumber or or a professor, I want them to be able to read Eric's favorite work, The Aeneid, and I want them to be able to read it richly right. Whether they're going to be a 200-book-a-year guy or a 10-book-a-year I want them to be people of words so they can understand the book, the scriptures, I mean, and this great inheritance. So to me, that's, that's foundational.
1: Yeah, that's, that's really good. It, hidden in your list of you know think well, read well, speak well, write well, yeah. like all those things, you also have another, another virtue that's really it's, – it's a foundational thing that we want to teach our children, and that's to, be, to have the tools of learning yeah. so that they can self-educate right? Yes. It's not just spoon feeding your children. And I know this is about higher education. And I'm getting there. It's just taking the long way around is that you, you want to be able to give your kids the tools to learn so that they can approach the Aeneid themselves mm-hmm. and they can understand it. They have the the tools in their tool belt that they can understand some of these more difficult works. They can look at the world around them and and kind of interact and interpret what is going on in the worldview, you know, that's operating. Yeah. Uh, and then in the ideal world, what you would have would be godly Christian universities with mentor type relationships with different professors that have much life experience and are steeped in the Western tradition. So that is the ideal. And those do, those do exist. Those schools do exist, yeah, but they are very rare. New St. Andrews, exists yeah. to do that. Uh, Brian took a class yeah. on uh, classical Christian education yeah,
2: with in Schlecht. preparation
1: for our school. Yeah, He said it was
2: very rigorous. Yeah, very rigorous. I mean, we read a stack of books from all across history, difficult, difficult books. And if you look at NSA, their, their, their basic thesis for higher education is that, and the reason that they offer this liberal arts degree is that the liberal arts historically are the liberating arts, built on this this spine these three subjects called the trivium grammar logic and rhetoric that if you can that teach you basically how to think well read well speak well like that's what that's what it's really built on becoming an interested and interesting and rigorously knowledgeable person and virtuous along the way as well um, their thesis is that that's the basis that we should aim to give all of our children as they come up into adulthood so that they can then go do anything well um, and and I think even though I don't necessarily know, I don't know if they would say like everyone should get this degree, like versus going into a trade at 18. I, I, I definitely think though that they're onto something there in the sense that think about every vocation that you could possibly come up. I mean, you could list out from the trades to white collar work all the way up, which one of those would not be benefited by a person who can think well, speak well, communicate well, read well, learn. They have the tools of learning so they can go learn anything because they have the tools to do that. And it's like, it doesn't matter if you're going, people have this mistaken impression that education should first be about giving them the tools to do a job. No, 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 That's not what education is first for. Education is first making virtuous human beings who, who know how to learn and know how to think so that they can then go learn how to do anything.
0: Well, kind of Does that what, make sense? Yeah. It, one of the things that it, sort of like Americana, the heart of, you know, American culture, especially early American culture, I think was this kind of this picture of the Jeffersonian agrarian intellectual. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Joel Salatin has pointed to this, but, but yeah. somebody who could work the land and and be, you know, a really hard worker in, in very physical ways with their hands. They didn't, however, set handwork against work of the mind. no. Uh, and so, yeah, you know, Jefferson, all his foibles and problems, et cetera, uh, was, you know, a very smart guy. Um, he read, he had a huge library, and he also was a successful uh, owner of lands and, uh, you know, did a lot of really cool things yeah. uh, for the country. W- one question I think a lot of people would have is, y- you mentioned this before, Brian, with with your sons, but, like, it's your, you're looking at your sons and you're saying, okay, this one should go to college and this one maybe shouldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, or higher education, I should say. Uh, the, the question I would have is, do you think, A, how would you evaluate that process? Yeah. Like, what are you looking for? And are you saying that you think everyone should get higher education? Because I think part of this debate is, um, and, and part of the thing with, with Moscow has always been, yeah, that's that's great on paper. Mm-hmm. And if I was rich, I'd do that too. Uh-huh. Um, or part of it too is, I I, I knew a guy who was uh, went on to, he's a doctor, uh he, I think he went to New St Andrews for a year. He said it's far too intellectually rigorous for me and really not my cup of tea. Dropped out, became a doctor. <clears throat> so even, that's so funny. Dropped out to become a doctor. Yeah, and that's why <laughs> I kind of laughed about that, but, but 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 I think part of it was like his wiring just wasn't as much of like the western canon literature. Yeah. Going on to do right. really what New St Andrews teaching you to do. So so again, how do you evaluate who should go there? Um, what should higher education entail, and why would, you, like, why would you get it?
2: Yeah, so I think before that, you want to make sure – I mean antecedent, like in the flow of logic. You want to make sure that your your children's education from their six, you know, first, six years old through 18 is rigorous. I, I hope that by the time our children graduate from St. Brandon's Classical Christian Academy, Lord willing, that they have the tools of learning in their belt – and yeah, they're gonna like a twenty-five-year-old really does have a greater degree of competence in using those tools after another seven, eight years of practice with them than an eighteen-year-old. So there's maturing that's going to happen, but I would want that everything that uh, is needful is in the cask, and now it's going to go mature and grow and deepen with the other things they read and take in. I'd want them through that educational process to develop a love for reading and a love for learning. So that whether their assessment and my assessment as their dad and, and you know as they're looking forward into their life is that they should, should or shouldn't go to a place like NSA, that we would both agree that they're going to go out and continue to learn rigorously and widely. So to me, it's more of an assessment, and I haven't gotten there with my kids, but I'm already looking at them and going, yeah, my firstborn, classic firstborn style, he's a reader to the core, he's a thinker. He, he would prefer most of the day, like his dad as a lad, to go with a book in a corner under a tree somewhere, read a book. That's what I wanted to do. That's what he wants to do. So looking at working with the grain of, of that son, I think here's a kid who may benefit from something like a liberal arts degree as he grows up. And we'll continue that assessment. My, one of my other boys, my second born, is uh, he is just absolutely energetic about work. He'll go do a a, a a work with your hands project, building a deck. He helped me build my shed. I mean, he's like seven helping me build the shed. He'll, he helped grandpa build a, a tree house all week last week for hours at a time. He will stay on task, hold the hammer, drive in the nail, like without losing focus or drifting away and playing. And I look at him and go, and he's not an early reader the way my firstborn son was totally different relationship to reading and learning. He's a smart kid, but he's just different relationship. And so already I'm looking at the knots and the grain of his character. Like C.R. Wiley said last week, you need to be a student of your children. Study them like a master craftsman. Studies his materials. Work with the grain. Use the knots to the best advantage. Yes, correct and guide, but also put to use. And I love that picture because I'm looking at what to me looks like knots in my boy. Early on, like he can't read yet. He's still, that's not his thing. But I think, well, but hang on. He is the way he is about working with his hands, partly because he he is, you know, correspondingly the way he is about books. So I want him to be able to read, think, be a virtuous young man. I I trust that he will be. He's going to get a great education. But looking at him now, that that boy, maybe at 16 we're going to be making a call like you're going to start some supplemental trade work in something you're passionate about. It's just knowing your kids, like – And thinking deeply about the things that frustrate you about them and, like, figuring out if there is a way to work that knot into the design of the furniture that you're built, you know, to use the metaphor that C.R. Wiley is, to use that knot to best advantage.
0: And uh, I don't think there's any silver bullet. It's just you got to study your kids. Yeah, certainly not a a wooden thing. Um, Dan, I want to ask you in particular about – I think it's a pretty hot-button issue – particularly when you get into, like, homeschooling movement, classical Christian education, uh, and patriarchy, there's debate about should women go to school. I know Doug has promoted women in higher education. I don't know if, I'm not sure, maybe you guys would know, if he says, like, hey, they absolutely should, or it's a really no. good idea. He he says, the, the point he makes that is the,
2: the, 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 what I like about Doug is he'll have to make a point on a principle that's universal, everyone should agree to it. Yeah. And here, the principle I think he defends is: these are you're the mother; these are going to be mothers who educate your children. So make sure they're educated, and then and then I think there's some open endedness to how, whether yeah. that's higher education. And, or and I think that's
0: really helpful. And that's true; we should all agree on that. But but the question I think that a lot of people had is, you know, how should we think about girls and college? As I mentioned before, one of the downsides with university, they go to school, you get a bunch of debt. Um, You get out of school, you you know, it's this sort of thing of like sleep around in college, get a bunch of debt, and then not realizing when you get out, A, that makes it really hard to uh, start a family for one thing. And it makes you, in terms of candidacy for marriage, it makes you less appealing to a large number of men, particularly if you're a righteous Christian guy, that's not appealing. So again, how would you be thinking through this for girls in higher education? Softball question, Dan. Yeah, the, that's a good question. You're not going to offend anybody,
2: potentially, with this answer. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to figure out what angle I'm going to come at this. Should I come at it from the angle? Yeah, why not? Um, <laughs> the thing is, is it's it's so difficult to get into a, a mindset outside of modernity. Because we live in it. We breathe it. I grew up in it. I was educated in it. The, I mean, girl power, the... Rate of graduations from universities, I mean, is heavily skewed towards women. Yeah, and like you said, Eric, what what ends up happening with especially right now at our moment in time is you have a vast number of university graduates that have tremendous amounts of debt. The uh, cost of tuition has just ballooned. Yeah. Because of government supplements and, and many other reasons. Yeah. The availability of debt. And so you have droves of women that are debt slaves.
0: They're debt They're- slaves. And the interesting thing when you, you, the, the statistics bear this out, something like uh, 70% of college educated women are the ones who initiate divorce. Yeah. Uh huh. No, so I
2: think you're right.
1: I think it is. There's 70%. a
0: lot of bad factors. Yeah, at play. yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So there's
1: a lot of bad things. I mean, the universities aren't exactly training virtuous women. Like no. the culture no. around it is horrible. I know. I was there. Like it's terrible for women. But but just even if you're like a virtuous Christian woman, uh, it's a very dangerous place to be. There's. Uh, it's not going to be very helpful. I think. Even even I. We had just briefly mentioned and kind of passing and didn't even really look at it straight like for men going to a state school is probably not going to be that great for you Uh, outside of like you said some caveats like engineering or whatever but they're going to cram some just absolute trash down your throat yeah like when you go into an engineer program engineering program you're still going to have to take all of the Absolute garbage Underwater
2: homosexual basket weaving. Yeah.
1: I mean, because the thing is, a university, what they're trying to do is to form you into an image. Mm -hmm. That's what part of education is. They're trying to make you into an image because a student, when fully mature, is like his his teacher. I mean, so they're trying to make you like, you know, we have, uh, you know, Utah State and and, uh, Utah University, and they're trying to make you look like a student at Utah University. Yeah. They're trying to hit that. So for women- that becomes really difficult if you think about a godly woman and a godly man. The guy is in economic trouble; just you are just behind the eight ball right now in the world that we live in, and then you are going to marry a woman that also has debt, which will, in a lot of cases, force her to work to service that debt. That's why you know I, I say debt slavery, and ends up becoming wage slavery because you can't get out. You're stuck. And yeah. so working the, for the,
0: another man by the way.
1: Yeah, building his house and everything like that. But so here's the thing. Like uh Doug is right what Brian said was great. It is very important for women to be educated. Very important. I'm not saying something ridiculous like women shouldn't be taught to read or some such nonsense like that. Mm-hmm. By the way, I just realized somebody could cut that out and make me say that. Or
2: women but, shouldn't or women shouldn't learn theology, that no, kind of thing. No. No, no. No, no.
1: No, I I mean, I desire very much so for my wife to be very intelligent, to be dangerously intelligent. Yeah. You know, to be able to think well, read well, speak well, write well, like yeah. all of those things. But I don't think that college in most cases is going to help that.
2: Yeah. Yep. The, think about NSA. Like, would I send a daughter to NSA? Like, depending on the daughter and disposition and like circumstances, absolutely. It'd be on the table to send my daughter to NSA. Great church community, like a great place. But then if she met a man and wanted to get married after a freshman year, would I be like, babe, you got to finish? I don't. wouldn't call her babe. Whatever I'd call her, you know, little lady, got to finish your degree and then you can get married. I'd be like, no, no, like, drop out. Great. Keep reading the books. Like, Keep going. Keep learning. But yeah, yeah, no it problem. Like,
0: it seems like a couple principles that are helpful yeah. as I was thinking through this. Number one, you're under a man's authority as, as a daughter. Yeah. Um, and so I think one mistake is fathers send their daughters off to school and it's like, oh, she's not under my authority anymore. I do think that's a mistake. It's a mistake, yeah. That's a mistake. The other thing I think too, though, is, is we're, we're talking about daughters is um, we're recognizing that there's a, a principle – in a primary principle that ultimately for her marriage mm-hmm. and family yeah, the normative. is going to rank higher than absolutely and i say that because in, in like my generation and a lot of the people i grew up with it was like okay 18 19 20 want to get married no 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 i had people at seminary mm-hmm. saying no 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 i tell all young women you need to graduate seminary why are you in seminary i don't know no one knows Why do they allow you to enroll in seminary? But Southern Seminary, they would say, hey, and this is like faculty's wives, you need, before you get married, you need to finish your education. That is more important. And I remember thinking like, okay, but just on the level of biblical principles and priorities, order of God's commands, Mm -hmm. I don't remember the command to go to seminary. Right. Be educated, love the Lord, know his word, pray, all those things. Uh, But family is actually in Genesis 1 and 2.
3: Christendom Bible College offers a one-year certificate in the humanities for students who intend to pursue a degree or for students who prefer to begin their chosen occupations upon completion of our program. Older students who never attended college or who went to a college where the humanities were less robust will also find our program stimulating and suitable. Located steps from the Ohio River in the town of New Richmond, we're unaccredited in order to remain free to teach as our biblically-minded consciences demand. As servants of Christ, we won't wear the yoke of the woke. Instead, we stand on the shoulders of Christianity's giants, not to stew in nostalgia, but to see through the culture wars fog to the glorious days of a Christendom still to be built. Our exceptional faculty are committed to the historic, biblical foundations of our faith. Come be a part of Christendom Bible College. Visit us on the web at christendombiblecollege.org to learn more. While there, be sure to sign up for our email updates and receive your free three-chapter excerpt of our very own Dr. Frank J. Smith's new book, Race, Church, and Society.
1: Yeah, and I think, so one of the things I was going to bring up was this idea of hierarchy and authority. And I think in a lot of cases, most cases, in fact, it is it, it is unwise for a daughter to leave her father's house to an unknown new place, around a bunch of single guys.
0: She's no longer under the authority of a, a father. N-
1: yeah, authority which comes with benefits like protection, protection, like yeah. provision, you know, things like that. So yeah. because it, chastity in women is a very very high virtue. Yeah, historically you look at this. I mean, it, or in the in the Old Testament.
2: Yeah, easily like, lost. Extremely precious thing,
1: absolutely. So, so I think that's one of the best guards, safeguards that fathers. I don't, I don't have any daughters, so I haven't given it as much thought as probably uh, Brian has. But that's just, I think one of the best things that you could do for your daughters is keep them at home until they're ready to be married.
2: Well, and even the goal is that we're we shouldn't be raising our daughters in such a way that by the time they're eighteen, you're asserting your fatherly authority to make the shot for her. It should be that as she grows up. She, your relationship matures to where she respects your authority and voluntarily gladly is is under your fatherly authority so that it's not like well I'm 18 I get to make the shots now it's like no I respect my dad I love my dad even in the situation like I said NSA like I might I I might that's a very rare scenario because it's there's a community there that's a high trust community High trust community, high trust church community, where I know that I could have meaningful, even from Utah to, to Moscow. I know I could have meaningful fatherly exercise of protection and authority through uh, uh, what's the word through deputies, pastoral deputies, you know that sort of thing. There, but even then, even NS, even something like that, it's that's going to be like it's it's going to be a, a a serious question because I want that is so important that you protect. Your daughter, and and man, they can get taken in by like. There's a reason that for one of the reasons for male headship is because uh, the woman's more is e- she's more easily deceived. This is why um, college is has is so successful at making women apostates and feminists. It's because they're easily deceived in many cases by uh, this these other demonic religions that are being proselytized at university. So to me, it's like an absolutely not to the state university model for for my girls, like, no, (laughs) just, just, just no. And I I uh wouldn't even say, I'd rather start a college here. I think this is, this was literally Doug's instinct too, Pastor Wilson. Yeah. yeah. His girls, Becca, I think Becca's the older one, Rebecca Merkel. She she hits 18. She's like, "Uh, you know, what am I going to do? He's like, I'm starting a college right here. Hold on. Okay. It's ready. You can, you can go to this college. And so you see like, this Chad King patriarch move of pastor Wilson of literally starting a men will literally start a university instead of going to therapy. I mean, men will literally start a university (laughs) instead of letting their daughter go off to the, and then she ends up married to the current president, which I think is a a pretty great story arc.
1: That is a good story arc. It's, it's ironic because there is a state school in Moscow. Right
2: there. So he could have been, yeah, there's all, there's so many ironic and funny layers to that. So I, I would rather see more, um, Number one, I would rather see more communities rise up where you don't, even if you didn't have a university, that there was such a rich culture there that my eighteen-year-old daughter, if she wanted a liberal arts education, wouldn't even need to go to a university to get it because she's surrounded by highly intelligent graduates of our school, rich culture of learning, book clubs going on all the time, they're reading in Latin, there. You know, it's like,
3: well, what, I,
0: what do they need? The do they need the thing at that point? Well, not necessarily. I was going to say so. So one of the things I noticed, Brian, and I'll. You know, point to your home in particular. I have very few women, this, and this is funny because people assume Lexi's like this patriarchal doormat <laughs> because she's married to you. Yeah. Um, but in conversation with you and your wife, like Lexi is one of the most well read. Yeah. I it, it, it would be hard to say that I had deeper, you know, conversations about books, say, at, at college and the things yeah. that are happening in the homes here in Ogden. Right. And, yeah. I even look at uh, St. Brennan's in the school and one of the things I like to do is go through uh, at the beginning of the school year, Headmaster Love, he gives out the curriculum. Mm -hmm. And so my boys are buying – we're buying the books and then I'm usually stealing the books to read them first and then the boys get mad. They're like, where's my book, dad? But one of the things I I love about that is like this is a better education than I got at college. Absolutely. And these guys are – you know. Seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth grade. grade. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, and things like what's again, what's the value of that higher education? Uh, I said to Benjamin the other day, I said, "Hey, you know, I'm just, you know, how how are prayers? What are you guys doing in school? What are you learning?" And he said, "Well, right now, he said uh, we're learning the Lord's prayer in English, obviously Latin and Greek." Mm -hmm. And he goes, "I'm about halfway done with the Latin and Greek. Do you want to hear it?" And I'm (laughs) like, "Okay, this I didn't learn that in state school." You're like, "Yeah, I'll check your work." Yeah, let me, hold on, let me, Uh, I think you mispronounced that. He's like, no, dad. Your declension's (laughs) wrong here. Um, So I I think looking at that too and saying, okay, if we create a community like that, you're going to have people who are just sprouting out of that, that there's going to be a a culture of learning, having the tools for learning. One thing I want to do is transition to a little bit on trade work. Yeah, let's talk about that. As I think can actually be a form of higher education. Absolutely. Before we get there. I just want to give Dan the opportunity because I think this is a subject that you've talked a lot about and in, in really well, and that's that our sons and daughters should have range, right? So I don't want my son to be like, oh, he only reads Latin. Mm-hmm. No, I want my son to be able to say, I think of like Ben, at, you know, Boniface Woodworking. He's he's woodworking, and he's you know studying classical music, mm-hmm. and he's in the sanctuary in the mornings playing the piano because he's working on Vivaldi. Yeah. So, talk about range. Why is that important for the education of our children? You know, I, those are
1: some very kind words. I completely stole that from Brian. So, I'm but I'm just going to roll, and with
2: I it. probably stole it from Doug. So let's just yeah. keep it going. <laughs> and there's actually,
0: yeah. Doug, there's actually, by the way, there, there's a phenomenal book with the title Range, mm. and it talks all about this. It talks about why you the shouldn't shooting,
1: long range shooting. No, I have that book, not too. that one. Oh,
0: how uh, do you find the range? But oh. it basically <laughs> talks about how we shouldn't pigeonhole our kids, but really, from you know zero to eighteen. We want to expose them to a wide range of things, kind of contra Malcolm Gladwell, where it was like the outliers thing. Like, no, 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 no. By age two, they need to be like, you know, vi- you know, Vivaldi or whatever. You know,
1: right? Yeah, specialists. Tiger and, and Woods. a certain thing. Yeah, the Chinese do this. They would. It, I mean, this is a big part of Asian culture. Yeah, is to pigeonhole your kids into a certain thing. You know, and and Expecting they become like be great. And let me tell you what you you watch the Olympics and you are like every single person out here was like doing this when they were
0: very, very, very young. Right. You know? So, yeah. And I was going to say, that's one of the things he points out in the book, like Roger Federer, who just retired, Roger Federer didn't even pick up a tennis racket until he was 14 years old. Wow. And because he was doing so many different things. So anyway, yes. Oh, so
1: there's still a chance for me. There's still a a chance
0: (laughs) So yeah, (laughs) I I can absolutely. I
1: think it's, it's, it's really important to have range. First of all, in the time periods you read in. Yeah. Not just not in not just the subjects, which is very important, but the time period, because every time period have it has its errors and its shortfalls. And I think it's really important to be well read to know your place in history. Mm. I think that's one of the most important reasons for range. Because these especially in the the Western canon, the books that have been passed on for sometimes thousands of years have lasted that long for a reason. Mm. It's because some of the greatest thoughts ever thought have been put to paper and have been passed on. And so it's really good also to orient yourself in your time and to know the times and to, to be able to see certain patterns uh, that are unfolding around you. It really does give you better eyes to see your current time by reading the past. Mm-hmm. The other thing is to read widely on different subjects. The thing is, God made a, just a crazy world I mean this this world is insane. I was talking to my sister-in-law about elk. Just in general. Like they have ivories, you know, like the teeth. In their teeth. Yeah, they've got ivories. That's how they bugle. Well, that's that's one of the theories. Yeah, it's I mean, but but cows have them as well. I mean, and they wallow, so they they find these like low low and cows, like seeps.
0: Cows bugle. Few people know this. Well,
1: they do. Yeah, they do. Yeah um so they'll find like wallows which are like mud pits and they urinate in them and roll around them and, and, and get mud covered on them Sounds like and my kids they like <laughs> i mean it's just I, I was just telling her about this and she's like this is the most insane thing ever they're like you know 650 800 pounds and they're screaming in the woods and they're i mean it's just it's it's just crazy and that's just one ungulate, like not even that that interesting of an animal when you're comparing to other things, the the world God made is just fascinating, mm. and there's so many mysteries, and that's part of the uh, of the uh, glory of kings or the joy of kings. I can't recall uh, is to go out and find those mysteries. It is the the glory of God to conceal things, and the joy of kings to find them, or something like that.
0: Yeah, yeah. what? And I think too, like when you look at Solomon, he's uh, this picture of you know wisdom, the pinnacle of wisdom in the Old Testament until you get to Christ. But here's this guy who's, he's gardening. He's building things. We talked about in another show, uh, maybe they were in North America uh, doing mining operations. It's just crazy when you think about it. But he can also write poetry. So here's this man's man, warrior of a guy, writing poetry, knowing mining, knowing agriculture, Mm -hmm. botany, you name it.
1: Well, if you want to be educated, I mean, education is the science of connections. Mm -hmm. Mm. And so when you're doing gardening, like when I'm doing gardening, I am doing, you know, botany and biology, plant breeding, you know, when I save seeds and things like that. But I'm also doing other things like I'm Mm -hmm. doing economics. Yeah. I'm also, you know, I'm, I'm going to be cooking this food. I think about, you know, how I'm going to prepare it. Culinary. Uh, Yeah. There's, so there's a culinary aspect to it. Mm -hmm. And then I'll look at something and I'm like, wait a minute, this reminds me of a certain Picture from the Gospels, for example. I mean, every year I prune my my grapevines and my fruit trees, and they're just think of the parables and the scriptures that talk about pruning and about grapes and and about um, the warnings like against apostasy and things like that. I mean, so what? Yeah, I'm gardening. That's what it looks like is going on, but there's a whole host of other things that are going on, and so. I think that's another reason that it's important to have range. You can speak to all sorts of things at that point. You become truly an interesting person that is worth emulating that becomes really valuable in your community mm-hmm, yeah. and to your generations. I mean, who wants the, the grandpa who's like, he's got one story. That's like his thing. Yeah. You know, and he did this one thing once, you know, he was really good at football in high, high school and that's all he's got. Yeah. Like that's really sad.
2: I could throw that. See that mountain over there throw this beer ball. You used to throw this beer ball over that whole mountain. Uncle mountain. Rico, Uncle Rico, legend, to be Uncle Rico, legend
0: status. Brian, anything else on uh, range? Why that's a good thing? No, that was great. Just Dan, you nailed it. Range cross pollinates everything. Brian just gave you ten out of ten stars on a would card. recommend. Would recommend. That was it. So we'll transition now into what I'm calling dirty jobs. Right, I'm getting this from Dirty Jobs with Mike Rowe, but it, it, there's probably a good correction. I think course correction. Mm-hmm. Uh, that has happened in our culture, and that's people like Mike Rowe and others saying, listen, we need a renewed focus on the trades. Um, it, speaking of range, right, it's important that we have the knowledge work guys. There's computer science guys, but our economy is actually hurting for a lot of people in the construction, woodworking, excavation, et cetera. Um, We, As I've said, we've been inundated with what Peter Drucker call, called knowledge work. And uh, it's funny, I've read a lot of books about this recently, and they're like, knowledge work is so far superior to handwork," and blah, 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 blah. And what you actually find is most knowledge workers today are like, I just want to hold a shovel. Yeah. Uh, uh, my name is Adam. I came <laughs> from the dirt. I yeah. want to touch the dirt.
1: Yeah. Well, I was working at a bank, and there's like a row of cubicles that I'm working in. And I had the realization like, wait a minute, am I a factory worker? <laughs> <laughs> Because I'm just doing like data no, input no, 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 and like customer no. service stuff. Dan, I'm you're like, free man, now. You're free as a knowledge. I am worker. in a gray yeah. carpeted cubicle with people that I don't like. I mean, this was a long time ago,
0: so they they don't know.
1: Anyway, I I just re- came to the realization. No, this is the new factory
0: work. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Um, you know, and a lot of it is. Uh, there was a book titled "BS Jobs." I'm not going to, I guess, say the word since we're. We don't want to be cussing, canceled by Costi Hinn. Costi Hinn, cussing, you know, so BS jobs. Uh, but but it's a really good book, actually, that talks about how like 90% of people in the world today, in, in modern industrialized nations, say that most of the work that they do is meaningless and soul-destroying. Yeah. So I'm like, wow, that's horrible. And that's most of what our <laughs> economy is producing. So I think in response, again, people like Mike Rowe, uh, the TV show mm-hmm. Dirty Jobs with Mike Rowe, They've been trying to highlight this value of trade work. You can work with your hands in a skilled trade. And one of the benefits of this, I really think it is a form of higher education post you know, high school education. One of the benefits is instead of going into debt, many of these professions will actually pay you to get trained. Yeah. And then you'll have some, some pretty handy certifications. So one of the things I used to hear as a child all the time, people would say, Well, you need to make sure you go to college so, God forbid, you don't become a plumber. And I've told this story before. (laughs) I have a plumber friend who makes deep into the six figures and does really well. deep. (laughs) And I'm like, Gene, I should have been a plumber. Yeah. If you can run a company and do well for yourself, that's really good. Another example, Dan, would be Electrical Lineman School. Um, They have these all over the West where you can go, I think, for two years or something. You're working while you're there, and instead of paying tuition, they actually pay you to work. Yeah. So you get at the end of it, and most guys are making sixty to $70,000. And then, uh, you know, 10 years into your career, you're deep into the six figures. Pretty good job, good benefits, good pension, all those things. So as we look at things like that, why shouldn't we? We, we said higher education in the intellectual sense, maybe a new St. Andrews. Um, that's good. But why should we also not look down on trades and not be telling our sons, hey, skip the trades, that's a terrible thing.
2: You know, related to this is really related to the range question too. Yes. Yeah, and it makes me think about this great poem that we all love by Rudyard Kipling. It's this poem "If," and and you should read it. Maybe I can talk. We haven't actually got the cold open recorded. That's actually point.
0: what my cold open is. Maybe
2: I could talk Eric into reading it for the cold open. But it, it, it ends with this line, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna don't want to butcher it, so I'm gonna read it. He he goes through this whole "If you can." talk with crowds and keep your virtue, or walk with kings nor lose the common touch, if neither foes nor loving friends can hurt you, if, if all men count with you but none too much. He says, if you can bear to hear the truth you've spoken, twisted by knaves, to make a trap for fools, or watch the things you give your life to broken, and stoop and build them up with worn out tools.
3: Is it in you now to
0: watch the things you gave your life to broken? And stoop and build them up
2: the the end of the poem the culmination is yours is the earth and everything that's in it and which is more you'll be a man my son mm. and there's something any man can read this poem and be moved by it because it's a poem about a man with range who takes risks and he builds meaningful things and he just becomes a man like what is it about adam adam was a king adam was a priest adam was a warrior adam was a gardener Adam was made to be a lover. Adam was made to be, like, all of these different things. Adam was made to have this masculine range. And so in our world where we've kind of cut off, uh, we've said this is worthy work. It's knowledge work. It's, it's white-collar work. It's, it's higher education sort of work. That's worthy work. You don't want to be dirty and work with your hands, but there's something deep in the human soul made from the earth that we want to be the type of men, all of us, even white collar workers have a deep longing, even if they're not competent, they wish they were competent in something with their hands. They wish they could do carpentry. Yeah, you get
1: those romantic stories all the time of like, "Hey, I was a doctor, yeah. or I
2: was this this you know engineer, and then I started a farm." Yeah, left it all, started a farm. So, so to me, it's like I I love a world where Rudyard Kipling exists and wrote the poem "If," and Wendell Berry exists and writes some of the greatest poetry of any like living man, great poetry, and also loves the earth and you know. I, I would want Christendom, I think Christendom must be marked by a range all the way from the earthwork to the wordwork, up and down all the way, and, and not have any of it be enemies with another. And, and what this means for us is that we have to, again, look at our children, work with the grain of their, of their creation, and say, some of you are made to, to be the greatest tradesmen, the greatest HVAC installers in our city. And you're gonna you're gonna employ twenty people, and you're gonna be a millionaire when you're thirty five. Okay, so you're gonna do that heartily as unto the Lord? You're gonna be generous, and you're gonna be great. And some of them need to go and be like, you are the best. You're you are wired to be a musician. You should go do that. Like so you're gonna work fast food. Well, you figure son, that out. <laughs> the, the best you can do is Chick fil A. No,
3: <laughs> we don't.
2: We don't want that. But you know, even that feeding people, like you just. Uh, it actually, this, this reminds me of one of the, this is kind of a side note, but one thing I do think would be, um, absolutely worthwhile. If you could do it without debt for a woman, like 18 year old girl, get her a pastry, pastry school. Oh, pastry, learn how to make, <laughs> I thought you were going to say painting. one of our bright heart patrons like- went, she actually got like $40,000 in debt and regrets it. But it, it, if you could take that aside, she became like a master pastry chef
0: well actually and and i was gonna say like that's super valuable i'm just gonna say when we were in illinois there were a bunch of families who were just they were smart people um most of them were not they didn't go to college but there was one girl in particular and um she just picked up baking you know anymore it's like youtube there's so many ways that you can learn it that doesn't include going to school and now she has her own like online bake shop does really well with it yep Um, And the boys were doing very similar things. That's the other thing maybe to mention is there's a lot of higher education, trade or otherwise, that can be remote. It can be one or two years. It's fairly cost-effective. Well, and there's a lot of situations. People make this really
2: facile um, false conclusion that the biblical model for for femininity as it relates to vocation is not to make money. No, it's really for her to be homeward focused. But for the vast majority of human history— a man's vocation would have been deeply tied to his home. So there are many, many situations where a husband and wife can partner in a way where she is his Ezer Connecto. She is his helper suitable. And she's making his business work. And the business deeply involves both of them. Yeah. Oh yeah. A- and so they're building a productive plumbing, you know uh industry or business where she's helping with scheduling and and as kids come things change and things like that but but I mean absolutely like we should be thinking holistically about productive Christian households not just atomizing the man and the woman and the in the job and the home and the recreation and they're all in their different buckets and never shall the twain mix well no it's like a household that has productivity coming out of it
1: yeah so you mentioned the barrier of education is not so high as, you know, uh, higher education as far as costs and time. <clears throat> and then Brian also met, mentioned like how a lot of the trades lend themselves to family businesses. And that's what I was going to say. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, having access to an entrepreneurial sort of uh, startup business, like the trades allow you to do that much easier. Yeah. So that, it, man, it's always, it's always been confusing to me. When people are like, oh, you know, you're going to go do a trade, you know, turn your nose up at this person versus the person that's going to go work at some like, you know, Fortune 500 company, something like that. Because I've had guys come and work at my house, electricians and things like that. And I'm like, this guy is like younger than me. He's driving a brand new truck that has his name on it. He has like three teams that goes around and does work. And not to mention like, oh, man, we looked at roofing a little while ago, like starting a roofing company. These guys are, I mean, they can make so much stinking money. And it's not just about money, though. I mean, it, some of it is about money. Why would you work if it was just for your good pleasure? You have to feed your family. But it also allows you to, to build something that is worth passing on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whereas your corporate job, like if I go into corporate sales or whatever, I probably wouldn't <clears throat> want my son to do that.
0: No, and a lot of these companies, too, like the trades, we've known families in the in the churches where that we've been a part of where it's like, a guy starts an electrician's business. Um, he gets in really, really well with, like, the home developer in the area. Soon he's doing all the homes. Yeah. And then guess what? There's, like, 15 young guys at the church who are all gainfully employed by this guy. Yeah. So, like, that's what it means, in you know, to be a king, to be a patriarch, to be somebody who's providing yeah. for your community. So I think that's another part of it. Uh, one of the things that I found really helpful, and then and we'll kind of close in this arena— is uh, the book Durable Trades I mentioned earlier by Rory Groves. One of the really interesting things that he's done with this book is some of the historical research. um, He talks about things that we've talked about, like specialization and how that's often hurt the competency of men in general um, and how the Industrial Revolution has kind of divided families and households, etc. But one of the things that Rory talks about that, that I really like is this concept of he went back and he said, okay, which jobs and and trades have endured the last 250 years. Um, he saw it firsthand because he was a tech guy, and he said, you know, tech is changing all the time. You know, mm-hmm. as obsolete as the iPhone 10 was, you know, yesterday, that's what's happened to a lot of people's careers, professions, jobs. I think right now people are changing jobs and career fields between 18 months and, like, four years. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, so in, in lieu of that, if we want to have legacy – And I want to close kind of where we started with this idea of legacy. You've also got to have trades that can endure, right? That's the bottom line. You've got to have something that can make it through economic depression, world wars, social revolutions. It's really interesting because when you read the book, he lists all these trades. They're not all blue collar. A lot of people think they would be, but there's a lot of things on the list. Pastor, counselor, lawyer, banker. Being a doctor. Being a doctor. Those are white collar things. But there's still a durable trade. So, Dan, as you think about this principle of a durable trade, why would that be so important when we're thinking about legacy building, particularly like handing our, our kids a trade or setting them up in a trade so that they can pass that on for future generations?
1: Right. Well, I, I mean, I think you highlighted it really well. If you, if you start looking through the cor- quarters of time and you think, yeah. well, the industry I'm in, I'm retrofitting cell towers to accept 5G or something like that well, you know that this is temporal. Like, this, that's not going to last. So you better evolve your business. Yeah, Skyline. But, this, is, but this, is one of, this has been one of the failures. I, I remember when I was going to, to business school, I was shown the documentary, The High Cost of Low Prices,
0: mm.
1: which is about Walmart, time and time again. I bet it was three times. That's how creative my professors were.
0: Yeah.
1: And it was essentially a sob story about how all of these mom and pop places, these convenience stores and things like that had to close because Walmart came in. Yeah. And I, here I am like, I'm looking at these, this documentary and I'm like, those pathetic losers, they failed to adapt like economic, uh, the economic value proposition had changed. You have to adapt in order to survive. And so not all of our, I mean, like one of the top ones is like being a shepherd, like trade in Roy Grove's book. Like, well, man, it's going to be tough sledding out there. I've been hunting and there's, there are shepherds out, you know, watching sheep in the mountains while I'm elk hunting. Yeah. And they don't exactly look like successful individuals. Most of the time they're illegal immigrants.
0: Usually from like Argentina or something, Peru.
1: Yeah. Yeah, correct. Um, but they will take beer in exchange for, you know, elk information. So that's-
0: <laughs> so
2: just, <laughs> Their dogs though?
0: Very yeah.
1: suspect of
2: you. Very suspect. Yes. They're looking at you going, I will kill you. I will. If you yeah, touch my I sheep, will mess you I will up. literally kill you and, yeah. and eat
1: you. Yeah. So I think it's important to, 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 one, look at your trade and the business that you start and make sure that you're setting it up for 50 years. And then also, it's just a principle of business that you have to be agile. Yeah. You have to be agile as technologies change, as... Social preferences change. I mean, you could be pumping septic tanks, and all of a sudden, there's a new technology that eliminates the
2: septic tank. Yeah, well, you have to be able to adapt. Incinerating toilets become economically viable everywhere. Yeah. you
1: better figure out how to repair incinerating toilets. Right. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, I I think it's really important to, to think that way, and it really should be the way that that as the patriarch, the paterfamilias, the man who is aiming to leave a legacy that you are thinking that way, that you should be thinking that way about everything that you do, the way that you treat your wife, the way that you discipline your kids. You're not just disciplining your kids. You're disciplining your grandkids. When you go to work, you're not just working to accomplish the day's tasks. You're actually working so that you have something to leave for your sons and for your grandsons so that, you know, Burkholders for generations can benefit from the work that was done September 29th in and twenty twenty.
2: Yeah, and and the most durable trade is going to be being a godly man, who is creative, courageous, and competent. Because that man you can, can take be that agile. into anything. He can figure stuff out. Like uh, the thing about the thing about somebody who starts and is courageous and competent and creative, is that they will learn how to do something. They'll start and they'll figure out how to do it. But the people who are just cowardly shrinking back waiting for someone else to do it for them give them perfect security at all times they're never they're not going to learn anything new they're going to be extremely vulnerable to market downturn to their company failing whatever so that's a that that to me is the key variable in all of this is that we want to become the kind of men and and make our children to become the kind of men and women who are courageous competent creative so that they don't fear like they go out and you know, it, part of the Proverbs 31 woman is that she didn't fear. There, there, it literally says that at one point. She doesn't fear for this, you know, bad circumstance because she's prepared. She's thought about it. She's competent. Men like that are uh, are going to succeed no matter whether they're in some durable trade, knowledge work, whatever it is. They'll figure it out. So what, what people who are not creative, courageous, and competent want to do is they want someone to tell them what certification to get. We'll take care of them forever and never have to think about it again. And that's not what Rory Groves is trying to get you to do in durable trades. He's trying to say, here's some directions to think. Be thinking about things that are hard to cancel. Be thinking about things that humans are always going to need, no matter what technology does. That's going to be durable.
0: Have but, some general skills. Yeah,
2: but you have to be the man still. You have to be the guy who's not going to take failure for an option. Yeah. Until the Lord and his providence just decides that you're going to work really hard and you're still going to fail, and then you still glorify God. And God will take care of you and it'll be, you know, you'll make it. But if you're just, if you trust in the Lord and you go and put your hand to the plow, have some range, have some courage, then, uh, you know, we say this all the time. There are young men in the church who haven't figured out their vocation yet and stuff that we're counseling or like trying to talk to. And there's some of them where we just look at them and go, we're not worried about that guy. So no, I'm not worried. He doesn't know what he's going to do yet. He's not making the money yet. He's going to figure it out though because hes the, he's the right guy.
0: Yeah. High, high value. And and I think the other thing reminds me of something that uh, Joel Salatin said uh, when he was young and taking the risk of, you know, starting the farming, getting into all that. Yeah. He said, I just realized while I was working for, you know, basically bureaucratic corporation style company, he's like, yeah, I'm going to quit my job. But the reality is if the farm doesn't work out, he's like, I'm a competent, courageous guy. I'll find another job and give me six months and I'll be at the top of the food chain there. it
2: will be fine. Yeah,
0: we'll be fine. Um, one of the other things I think just to highlight a principle as we close here is that fathers, you have a responsibility to lead your sons and your family daughters as well and helping set them up for life. So understanding that this, this core principle that many of us grew up with of, Hey, when you're 18, you're on your own, go figure it out. That's not actually a biblical thing to say. Um, and if you care about your legacy, you won't say that, right? You're still going to be invested, um, you know, Jacob's parents, yep. they're still invested in him. Go to Laban, do the thing, blah, blah, blah. He's obeying. They're working together, et cetera. And there's there's honoring of parents there. Yeah. All that good stuff. So I want to close now, gentlemen, by thanking our sponsor, Reformation Heritage Books. Uh, we picked up some King James study Bibles recently from our friends mm. at Reformation Heritage Books. Mm. Love those. Wonderful translation, Brian. Nothing like the smell Un- of the authorized in the morning. That's right. Untouched by wokeness is Look, what I like to say.
2: Nobody was woke in 1611.
0: Did they, did they have some other issues? So from time to time.
2: From time to time. Did they bathe a lot? No. <laughs> no. But that doesn't show up in the translation. But I mean, we bathe too much. We right bathe way too yeah. much. Like, way too all. much. First I haven't even all. been wearing deodorant for like the a The immune month system month. is coddled. <laughs> the modern immune system is
0: coddled. I'm with Dwight Shroot. Sneeze in your face. <laughs> wow. This ad has turned a yeah. different direction than I thought it would, Brian, but also an amazing direction. One of the things I'll highlight, too, Reformation Heritage Books was kind enough to send us two bags of John Owen coffee. Dan, I kept all of it for myself. Wow. I didn't even know this existed. Yeah, I wasn't going to tell you, and then I just thought, you know what? My conscience, the Holy Spirit— The King's Hall, it's a, it's a winner-take-all economy.
1: Here. No, you decided okay. you wanted to just brag about it. Is
0: yeah, hang want? on. Your conscience. Actually, you
2: know what? <laughs> don't ease your
1: conscience with repentance. I did get the coffee, repentance. and I am not sharing it. <laughs> I, am not
0: sharing it. <laughs> I am not sharing it. There is a fixed pie wow. of glory, and it's all mine. And I got it all, so I don't care. <laughs> and I got it all mine. Gentlemen, they,
2: you know, re- speaking of Reformation Heritage books, I, wa- I do want to shout out a resource. They haven't said, like, hey, highlight this, but we found this really helpful with Breitharth. It's the William Googe three-volume Three volumes on the household. Oh, a lot really? of what we're talking about right now, raising godly children, godly marriage, is in that series. And and uh, I think Reformation put it together or edited it so it's it's modernized and uh, it's accessible. So yeah, check that one out too.
0: Yeah, I am gonna check that yeah, one good out. Stuff definitely have to Puritan. Read up on William Goode is
2: a Puritan, by the way. If you guys don't know who that is. I
0: love that Puritan's great. Uh, gentlemen, it's been a phenomenal show. Thank you so much for putting up with my pit vipers. Yeah. And my Chad energy. <laughs> but I congratulate you. <laughs> uh, you know, let another's it's mouth just, praise you. The only reason I say it is to get that look on Dan's face. It was worth it. I don't actually believe anything I just said about the pit vipers. However, I do believe this.
1: They're not even pit vipers. They're like awesome. Shenzhuan oh, like, brains.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but you do believe this. I do believe that we should make a Slowly, yes. With our pit vipers on and our chat energy, so gentlemen, festinolente, make haste slowly. Until next time.
1: They're Max Julie, by the way.